Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Joseph Woodbury, the CEO and co-founder of Neighbor, a super cool startup in Salt Lake City. I guess you can describe Neighbor as the Airbnb for storage. Joseph's built a marketplace to connect people that have extra space with people that have extra stuff. Pretty solid idea, and they've built a very interesting company. Anyway, I'll be quiet and let Joseph do the talking about Neighbor. As I mentioned last week, to celebrate our 100th episode, we're giving away one of the Wall Street Oasis courses. Just leave us a review on iTunes, and next week we'll pick someone to get whichever course that they want. Okay, what I want to talk about now is values, something Joseph talks quite a bit about in the conversation ahead. I think of values as your internal compass of telling you not only what to do, but also how to go about doing it. Sure, values can be the difference between what's right and wrong, but I think about values in relation to what you're doing with your life. As in, what do you value? Working for a company with a fancy logo? Maybe. Doing a startup that takes tons of work while everyone tells you it will never work, you will fail? Possibly. These are the questions that only you will know the answer to. Unlike the black and white of what's right and wrong, there is no exact answer here. There's also no easy path. Working for Goldman Sachs, that can be amazing but only if that's the right place for you. Same thing with a startup, trying to change the world. can be a very meaningful journey, but not if you're thinking about uh, working for Goldman Sachs the entire time. So how do you know what's the right thing for you? It's a good question, a hard one to answer, but ultimately one of the most crucial ones for you to figure out in your life. Reading books and listening to podcasts, hearing about how other people figured it out, that can be really helpful and enlightening. But at the end of the day, all that is just inspiration. You have to figure it out for yourself. And the only way to do that is by getting out in the world and experiencing things. Jobs you like, jobs you don't, people you like working with, people you don't. And quickly for some and not as quickly for others, you can begin to piece all these experiences together to determine what's right for you. The good news is you're listening to this. So you're motivated to figure it out. That's a huge component of it. From there, you have to be patient. Not patient in attacking what you want, go out in the world and make that happen, but patient on the journey as these insights, they don't come overnight. One of my favorite pieces of advice is that careers are long. I tell my wife all the time that I'm going to live till I'm 200 years old. So if I do that, how long will my career be? (laughs) The answer is a long time. So to think of a period, just a snapshot of a couple years is, am I doing the right thing? Am I working for the right place? That's literally insane. Really, all that matters is that every day you're motivated, you're learning, 
you're expanding your network, you're getting healthier, and all of that over the course of a 100-year career will pay huge dividends. Okay, that's it. I'm going back to fishing in Alaska with my dad and brother. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, Joseph, we're live. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I mean, we've just been talking for like 17 minutes before this even goes, and it's like, man, I got to... I got to click that record button so we can capture some of this magic. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was actually hoping that I was going to be out in uh, LA for this. I was going to send you an email. I had flights booked and everything and see if we could do this interview in person. Cause I wanted to meet and we're actually launching LA right now. Uh, I was supposed to be there and then I had a baby this week. So threw a wrench in those plans. Uh, yeah. Babies will do that, <laughs> but congratulations. That's, Big, big, big news. Launching LA is also big news. You got a lot going on in your life. Yes, too much. It's I I mean, I would say I have a lot going on, but I feel like everyone uh, that is starting a company has a lot going on just in a different way. I mean, yeah, that's that's right. Plus we have, I have a, an 11-month-old startup at home. Now you have a couple-day-old startup at home, plus two other startups and your startup that you try to make money from. So lots and lots of startups here. I like that. You should write a parenting book called Startup. <laughs> and we can just go uh, go target both startup founders and parents and just try to do the uh, the corollaries between the two. Yep. Both, you'll, you'll get no sleep. Yeah. I mean, building stuff from scratch is, is not easy. It uh, takes persistence, hard work, dedication. There's, uh, there's a lot of similarities. But, uh, but yeah, so tell us, tell us about any, any of your four startups. You, you, you choose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll, I'll run through the, the first three briefly. There's Alice. She's two. Uh, and then Hiram. He uh, is just over a year. And now we have a newborn named Ezra. Um, love them. They're, they're my best startups for sure. But then we've got Neighbor, uh, which is uh, uh, my startup company. We're just coming up on two years old. Actually, just passed it. Over two years old. And what we are is we're basically like an Airbnb for storage. So, you know, instead of uh, renting out livable space in your house, we take the unused space you've got, like your RV pad or your garage or your basement or whatever, and, and we'll fill it with someone else's boxes or their boat or their nice car, and then you make money every month on that space. I love it. I mean, it's it's a very very cool idea. It's kind of like you described it as as an Airbnb. It's I mean, they're you they're you're capitalizing on inefficiencies in the market. There's all this unused space or extra space people have. Why not like let people make some money on it and let people let other people who have things that they need to store maybe get a better deal, store it within their neighborhood. All like it's a win win. Yeah, totally. It, like you said, better deal. It usually ends up being about half the cost of what you'd pay at a traditional, you know, roll-up storage facility, like a public storage or an extra space storage. Um, and, you know, we, we like it from a gig economy perspective. Gig economy is huge right now. Obviously, a lot of movement in the gig economy space. Uber, Lyft just went public. But I think we're seeing a little bit, especially in the, these bigger cities like LA where you're at and San Francisco, that sometimes it can be really hard to earn money on the gig economy. You work a lot, you drive a lot of hours on Uber and 
that's time that you're not working at some other job, right? Like if you're driving for Uber, you're not, you're not earning money at your day job. Uh, and the thing we love about neighbor is it just kind of fits in on top of what you're doing. So if you work, you know, it doesn't take you any time to rent out your garage. And once they move in, it's long-term contracts. It's not like an Airbnb where they come and stay for a day or two. They're going to come and they're going to leave their boat on the side of your house for like 12 months, 15 months, 20 months. Uh, so it's a lot more passive long-term income. Yeah, totally passive. And you can just like, as you said, the gig economy is cool. It's definitely the future. We, we're all going to be doing all these side things here and there. And if they, you can fit them into your life without it being a detractor, Uber and Lyft or I mean, maybe you could like Uber in between meetings or something, but probably not so likely. But this is just, you can add it on and make a little extra income. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Joseph, like, how'd you, how'd you come to this? Were you sitting in your home and you're like, oh, I've got tons of unused space. Why don't I like go knock on my neighbor's doors and see if they want to store some of their junk here? Yeah, so I've got, I've got two great co-founders. Uh, my co-founder, Preston, actually came up with the idea. He kind of had a side business while he was in school. We, we were all students at the time we started it. And uh, he had a side business where he'd film documentaries for companies and nonprofits. And uh, it was pretty legit. So he was actually going to be flying down to South America to do some filming for this big humanitarian organization down there and was going to be gone for like four months, he and his wife both. So they needed a place to put their stuff and called around to storage facilities and kind of had the same terrible experience that everyone has when they do that. All of them were full. They didn't have any extra space, uh, which is kind of a national phenomenon right now. And then when they did finally find some facilities that had space, of course, they wanted two, $300 a month, crazy expensive. And he just said, I'm not doing this. Like, there's got to be a better way. And ended up calling up a friend who let him store his stuff in his garage. He leaves, comes back, and was like, wow, that was such a great experience. Not only did I feel better about my stuff, you know, safer in someone's house, but it was also a lot cheaper for me and a lot more convenient to just drive it a neighborhood over, right? So he thought, you know, what if, what if we could have a directory of types of all the garages, all the empty open garages in the whole United States and stop building all this extra space just to put our stuff in. And that's kind of how neighbor was born. He, he uh, reached out to Colton, my other co-founder and myself uh, and looped us in. None of us were, you know, what I'd call like entrepreneurs. Uh, we were students. We all were kind of going into consulting. That's what we wanted to do. I was headed to Bain and company uh, Preston was going to go do healthcare consulting with the Davida. Colton was working with a boutique consulting shop called Cicero Group. Um, <laughs> very much boring people, but we started working on this idea and it kind of took off. And we all, uh, our senior year of college, we all reached out to our jobs and told them, "Hey, we're not we're not coming. We're going to work on this this company." So that's how it got started. Yeah, I mean, what a what a story, but also like what a decision to make, you know, before you even graduate college. I'm sure you had to work very 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 hard and a long long time to get that offer from Bain. I mean, that's a very sought after job. Our society says that that's like the top. So you get that. Like what did you what what did you have to prove to yourself 
it neighbor in the business that like you know made it okay for you to say yeah i'm not i'm there's too much opportunity here i'm not going to bain anymore oh yeah uh, i should bring my wife on the podcast for this <laughs> um so totally bain was my dream job um i had interned there uh at the end of my junior year of college and they'd give me a full-time offer I accepted on the spot. I was like, this is where I want to work. I love it. I enjoy it. I tried investment banking. Yeah, I tried private equity, but consulting, I just loved it. Um, and so when when we started working on neighbor, uh, I also, you know, I was married. Even at the, you know, in my undergrad, I was married with uh, a kid and another one on the way. So, you know, there's all the financial security to think about. But as Chloe and I, my wife started making the decision, we just thought, you know, we've always wanted to work with like the highest quality people, uh, you know, people that we know have integrity. And I knew Preston, uh, we were good friends in college, just one of the highest integrity people I knew. So that played a huge factor. I knew I wanted to go, go to Bain and then go work uh, with people that I, that I admired. And so I already had that opportunity to work with Preston. And then the other thing was just like, I also wanted to, I've always wanted to work for something I could really believe. I'm not much of a salesman, uh, so I can't really sell something that I don't uh, really have a passion about. I don't want to go sell, you know, soda products to people. I don't like soda, right? Uh, but this was something where I was like, wow, okay, we're going to make a real difference in income for people. We're going to help them generate income with their house. Is something I could really get behind. I really believed in the mission. And... The, even the the core values that we'd started to develop for neighbor. And so we just jumped at it. I called, called Bain and they were actually uh, surprisingly supportive for, you know, any of your listeners that are contemplating calling Bain and telling them they're not going to come, come work. They, they surprised me and they were like, you know what, we'd probably do the same thing in your situation. So uh, that was great. It was before we'd raised funding too. So not a ton of financial security lined up there. No funding. So, I mean, you'd raise like maybe a little bit of money from friends and family or something, right? So we actually, and, and this I recommend to anyone, uh, we hit the business competitions hard. And, you know, we were students, so we qualified for a lot of student business competitions. And we'd win five grand here, you know, 10 grand, sometimes like 20 grand here or there. Uh, and it was nice because it gave us some money to like, spend on a little bit of marketing to drive traffic to this landing page we had. But the biggest thing it did for us is it forced us to really refine uh, this idea that we had and make sure we had all the kinks nailed out before we took it to a wider group of people. So we got all the questions early on before we even really had a product in these business competitions where people were like, oh, what if we... I mean, I can't tell you how many times we got the question, you know, what if someone stores some, you know, terrible thing in this space? You know, what if they put drugs in the space? or so? and, and we got that question so many times to start. We knew we had to have a good answer for it. And we knew we had to provide for the safety of our users and build that trust. And now we don't even get asked that. You know, you, you go on our website and you, you find pretty quickly that that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny as you go through the product, the initial product and customer discovery, like 
how much stuff changes. You know, with my startup, we would always get compared to Venmo. Now, when we go through the discussions and the questions, like Venmo never even gets brought up. It's just, it's so different. Uh, so that, that's interesting. And, and I love the, the business competition piece of it. That's, that's really, really smart. Yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was any like real decision that we made, but hindsight, definitely one of the best things we ever did. Uh, because it also connected, we're fortunate to, to have founded the company in Utah which, you know, for people who haven't been to Utah might not understand that it's actually like a, a really uh, big tech scene right now. You, you know, we call it, everyone's got their little nickname for their place, but we call it Silicon Slopes because we got the ski slopes here. And it connected us with so many successful tech leaders that had started marketplaces before us. And, and they were all willing to, people in Utah are great about sitting down with you and walking through everything, how to get funding, how to, uh, you know, develop product market fit, uh, giving us intros to people with connections to the space. So uh, we got all that from business competitions, not to mention the cash. And, and actually we got office space from one of them for like three or four months. So our first office was in a little closet building that we won off of a business competition. <laughs> uh, I love it. And, uh, you know, I love the idea of just using, you know, whatever assets you have at your disposal for you. You're in Utah. I mean, sure, it's not Silicon Valley, but, you know, use the tech community there. You're a student. Apply for things that only students can apply for. You know, like, I really like that idea of, like, instead of feeling bad for yourself saying, like, oh, you know, I don't I don't have any other successful exits before this. I don't have connections to Silicon Valley. It's like... You know, we're all kind of just animals running through the world trying to like use whatever we can at at our disposal. Yeah, even our customers. I mean, we started this business uh, on students. Like we had students that were going to leave for the summer and they needed a place to store their stuff. And we found a bunch of hosts, a bunch of homes around uh, the universities in Utah. There's a couple big universities. And the students don't want to pay $200 a month for storage. And so we got a bunch of students to sign up and start storing their items in these homes close to the university instead of lugging it home over the summer. And that's how we got our, our first users. And, and now our business, uh, we hardly even catered as students. You know, most of our business is, is people in the community that need storage for household belongings or cars or autos or, or boats or what have you. Yeah. I mean, you just like kind of like walked right into my next question. I was going to talk about the initial product. I mean, you have to build this two-sided marketplace. How do you, A, go get the, the places to store this? And then how do you get the customers to store their stuff there? And so you answered it with the students. That's really cool. So was proving out that that student use case, was that good enough to, to raise money money on? It was, yeah. In fact, uh, I sometimes forget this, but the business competitions resulted in our funding. So we actually never... Uh, started the process of uh, reaching out to VC. Uh, we were doing these business competitions and we started to get uh, some good traction with these students and started to win some of these business competitions. And after one of them, uh, we got, we started getting phone calls uh, from several different VC firms that had attended some of the business competitions. And they reached out and they said, Hey, we really like your concept. We can tell you're a sharp team. Uh, we like your vision and your brand and where you're going on this. Why don't you come in and have a chat? 
And uh, when we started talking to those VCs, uh, we started reaching out to other VCs as well because we thought, oh, you know, VCs are interested in us. And I can't tell you how good it is to have a VC reach out to you. You know, my experiences with those VCs that reached out to us uh, were not the same as the experience I, I had with, you know, VCs that I'm just cold reaching out to. So it was great to have them. In, in fact, several of our first investors were uh, those uh, VCs that just reached out to us. Yeah, I mean, Joseph, you're kind of explaining the last year of my life of reaching out to invest, <laughs> uh, reaching out to investors. But you're totally right. When they come to you, the the, the entire positioning and narrative, the whole thing changes. But it makes sense, you know. I mean, like a venture capital fund probably sees a thousand startups a year, and they invest in ten. So, what is going to separate the ten from the nine hundred and ninety? It's like they want. Just like every, what every person wants, they want the ones that they can't have. Like, <laughs> so how do you make it so that you're the one that you know is the hot one that you can't have? It's by having interest from other investors and having them reach out to you and having them court you. Without that, it's like, oh, please, Mister VC, don't you want to make my dreams come true? Look, I've got this great team. We've all known each other for so long. We're we're such uh, great people. We've got this great idea. And look how look at the numbers. Great. But if it doesn't come from the right channels, then it's just, you're right. It's not going to work. Yeah, I can tell you, I can tell you've been through this. Um, the, if it doesn't work out that way, you get into the classic, like, oh, you know, let's keep talking. They always want to keep talking, right? Because uh, never good for them to turn down a conversation. They just want to keep talking and never make a decision. Yeah. And then you try to create this like artificial sense of FOMO, you know, with like some like kind of like just bogus timeline. Well, if it's not by Thursday, you know, the round's closing, blah, blah, blah. And then the round doesn't, the round doesn't close. And you're like, okay, well, you know, we can, we can go, we can go till, till two more weeks. And you're just kind of like, you're right. It's uh, so it's a good position to be in. That's all. That's what I'm saying. Um, well, that's so cool. Okay. And then, so tell us about like the evolution of the business and the product and kind of, you know, like get it, get us caught up to like uh, where you are now. Yeah. So, you know, Bringing on funding, that really allowed us to, uh, you know, just to give you a little insight into our culture, uh, there's a lot of great cultures that we've seen in startups. You know, some people have kind of the fun, uh, you know, perk-driven culture. Honestly, I'd probably nail down what we've got at Neighbor is it's very academic. And maybe it's because we were born out of, you know, three students still going to school and still in that academic environment. But the first thing we wanted to do when we brought on venture funding was not go market and go blow our company up and go huge. We wanted to build out an awesome engineering team. We wanted to do all of our engineering in-house. Uh, so uh, one of the first things we did is hire on our fourth management team member, a guy named Derek Isaacson, super experienced guy, Stanford CS, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, and then built a couple uh, very successful startups uh, here in Utah, including the one we pulled them away from that's about to be uh, get unicorn status in the next couple of years or so. Um, and he, you know, he left a big company where he's managing 60 engineers to come to our team. And that was one of the best decisions we ever made was to, to really make the effort to go get a key 
engineering team member early on because he has now recruited and built out uh, one of the most solid engineering teams uh, that we know of in the whole state where we're located. And we really spent the first couple of years building, 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 iterating. Uh, we were live from the very start. We never, you know, held anything private. We always, you know, were public with all of our features. And uh, we just got constant customer feedback and iteration. And now that we've started expanding to other markets, um, it's been great that we've done that because we're not running into new issues when we expand to other markets. In fact, we've got, uh, we've been around for enough time that, and we have a good enough product that we've got users in almost all 50 states actively using us that have either found us organically or read a news article about us and, and joined our site. That's, that's awesome. Um, and then I guess the other question here that I kind of just, I want to ask is, so you mentioned your two co-founders, Preston and, and Colton, and this wasn't your idea. So, uh, in the early days there, how, how'd you become the CEO? Yeah. I mean, that's another thing about having great people with high integrity that you can really trust. Um, everyone was super invested and still is in having the right people serve in the right position. So I mentioned, you know, he had a background. He's the one that came up with the idea, but his background is in, is in brand and, and building a story and uh, in marketing. Uh, and so he actually heads up marketing for neighbor and uh, Colton just to give you a, another insight into how great it is to have, you know, humble co-founders. He was our original technical co-founder. So he built his first website when he was in uh, elementary school, got paid for his first website in junior high, uh, but then went to college and was a finance major. Right. So he, he was kind of a self-taught coder. And he's the one that got our early traction. He built our first website, uh, really got that first traction. But he was the first one to step forward and say, you know, I, I don't have the serious technical experience uh, or the computer science educational background that I think we need to lead a complex marketplace like this. So he was the one that led the decision to bring on Derek as our VP of engineering uh, and to pull them away from this other large tech startup. Uh, and now Colton manages our operation uh, and has built out a great uh, customer success org for us, as well as he continues to manage a lot of technical aspects of the site, like our search engine optimization. And he has a real background there. Um, and then really, you know, to answer your question, I'm the CEO because uh, my talents lie in, in all things boring, right? You know, I uh, going to Bay Night and, and having experience in investment banking and private equity, I understood the, the buy side. I understand what investors would look like. I had a lot of contacts in the, in the uh, capital uh, side of things. So I led our initiative to raise money. Uh, I, I still, to this day, do our finances. You know, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a, a CFO in-house doing our finances. I'm doing all that. Our legal, basically anything that needs to be done, uh, how I view my role is anything that needs to be done in order that marketing can focus on marketing and engineering can focus on engineering and operations can focus on the, the operations of the business. Um, so I, 
I really got that title because I'm the most boring person in the company. Hmm. Uh, I love it, Joseph. That's uh, that's a that's a cool story. So, two more questions here. Uh, the first ones, I guess they're they're both kind of fun questions, but the first ones could be funny. You mentioned storing boats and possibly drugs. Like, what are the are there like you know something comical that uh, that you heard about that people have uh, people have stored? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean. Some of the cooler uh, things that we've stored, uh, just to lead with those, you know, we we do a lot of classic vehicles. So, you know, we'll get people storing 67 Camaros or, uh, you know, brand new Porsches and, and stuff like that. And that's because they don't want to go to a storage facility where like one in five storage facilities get broken into every year. They want a nice home in their neighborhood. They may just not have the space. And a lot of them want to be able to drive their cars still. So, you know, we had a user that came on our site, needed to store uh, this antique classic car, but he liked to take it out for drives. We found him a space like a block over. So he actually just walks over to his neighbor's garage. Uh, they gave him a garage door opener. He, he opens the garage, takes his car up for a ride. But, you know, we've had businesses come to us. I don't know if you've seen those, those lantern festivals. Uh, but there's a large business that goes around the country and does those lantern festivals where you go out at night and you light those those big lanterns and they fly up into the sky. Uh, they they store all our their equipment with us. Um, fun spaces that we've had. Uh, we'll have people put up, you know, a lot next to their house and make fifteen thousand dollars a year, twenty thousand dollars a year renting out that space. But we also get people that put up the tiniest spaces and they literally just want to make an extra 10 or $15 a month. So we'll have people put up one closet and someone can come store like two boxes in it and they charge like $10 a month. Or we had someone that permanently parks this vehicle in their driveway and they rented out uh, the, the locked trunk space in their vehicle <laughs> That someone, and we were like, we offer free photography services and they requested our free photography services. So we sent a photographer out and he's taking pictures of the garage. And then the guy is like, oh, also I'm going to list the trunk in that car. And our photographer's like, what? (laughs) And, but took pictures of it. And we all were like making bets like, whether this space is going to get rented or not. And lo and behold, like a month later, we see this reservation come through and someone has rented the trunk of this car to store some boxes in. And we're like, wow, all space can be monetized. (laughs) Sounds like something the mafia might want to rent the trunk of a car. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, but uh, that's, that's, that's so funny. Um, Okay. Joseph. So, Last question here. We uh, we always talk about providing value. It's like one of the themes of the what I always like to talk about on the podcast. It's like you want a job, don't just like go ask someone for a job. Say like you know how can I? You're a venture capitalist. Like how can I show you interesting startups or help you do diligence on on a company or something? So you know, lots of people listening to this podcast, lots of hungry, scrappy, enterprising type people. What can they do that would provide value to to you and and to uh, and to neighbor? Well. You know, 
And, and we're, we believe strongly in this concept of value. It's, it's kind of part of the reason we named ourselves neighbor and not like, you know, you could come up with a million iterations of, of space, something that we could have called our company. Uh, but we call it neighbor because it's all about the people for us. And we're trying to provide value to our customers. One of the ways we do that is, you know, when people are worried about, you know, is my stuff going to be protected? Most storage facilities in the nation, they don't provide you any, any protection. It's just a place to put your stuff. We decided to totally put that paradigm on its head. And we offer free to every single customer that stores on our site, $25,000 in protection uh, for any, any items that they store with a neighbor site, uh, $25,000. And then for our hosts, they may be worried about their home. You know, what if someone backs their boat into my garage and clips the side or something? Well, we protect their home up to $2 million. Uh, so that's how we provide value to our customers. But I think it's kind of interesting. You asked like, you know, I, I don't know that I've been asked before, how, how do the customers provide value to neighbor? Uh, and I think probably the best answer is uh, we believe in sharing, not only because we're a sharing economy company and we believe in sharing space, but we like to share uh, what's good. You know, that's why Preston decided to start the company. He, he found a better way to do things and he wanted to share that concept with others. And so we, we try to reward that because uh, for our users, one of our biggest sources of users is just word of mouth. Uh, we track that. We ask users how they found out about us on a questionnaire when they create an account. And consistently, one of the biggest sources for us is word of mouth. I heard from a friend or family. So actually, one thing we do is when is every single month, uh, because we're trying to help our users make money and, and pay off their houses that they're renting out, we track who shares the most. And whoever shares the most, we go make their mortgage payment. And so, you know, we, we try to make it a two-way two -way value proposition. That's really how our customers provide value for neighbor is, is they share the experience they had with other people. And when they do, and if they do, and if they're our number one resharer of the month, we just pay their mortgage off. Uh, and that's kind of neighbor's way of providing value and giving back. Man, what a cool, uh, a cool philosophy and way to incorporate, like, your business into your like culture. I mean, it's, that's great. Yeah. We really like it. And it's awesome to, to see, you know, the, we like changing it every, you know, some people they'll offer these big things, but the reason we, we do a different user every month is because we love, we love, you know, the opportunity to see, you know, how a neighbor has helped that user. And then of course uh, we know it's going to bring a smile to their face when we tell them, Hey, you know, you might, you might enjoy using neighbor, but you're also not going to have to pay your mortgage this month. It's on us uh, because you helped bring so many users to our site. So it's, it's a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, Joseph, I, I love it. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun speaking with you, hearing your story, hearing about, about the business. Uh, I'm like, I'm pretty jazzed up on it right now. I'm like thinking where I can be, where I can uh, be storing stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Neighbor.com. Uh, of course, we got an app too, so download the app. Cool, man. Well, uh, you know, thanks again for coming on here. This was uh, this was great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Let's find a time to meet next time I'm out in LA.
I love it. That sounds that sounds great. And uh, you know, when I'm back in Utah, where, where I'm from as well, so I'm sure we'll make we'll make something like that work. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow. Also, leave a review on iTunes and get that free Wall Street Oasis course. Thanks.